0: The home stretch has come for the NFL as team's jockey for playoff position. I'll recap week 14 and see who's primed to make it into the postseason and who's not. The Mets continue to spend big bucks in a quest for a long-awaited championship. Is it way too over the top? A rivalry brewing in the NBA between the Suns and Pelicans. The World Cup semifinal stage is set as you have some surprises that'll battle it out for the chance to get to the final on Sunday. Brittany Griner is back on U.S. soil. What's the next step for the basketball star? Plus the latest in the NHL. Kickstarting the week with plenty of sports talk to delve into. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc., all I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So, with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic in excellent spirits. We're just eight days away from the official start of winter. Less than two weeks until Christmas as we get set to make the turn toward the end of the year. The sports world has plenty of turns and quite a few twists as I share all that has taken place and what lies ahead. As this is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Now we can set our sights as the final quarter of the NFL season will begin after a Monday night matchup in the desert between the Patriots and Cardinals, which actually does have some playoff implications, more so for the Patriots, obviously, than the Cardinals, who are still mathematically alive, but we all know that they've been pretty much out to sea throughout the course of the season. But a Sunday slate, which wasn't really thrilling, actually rather boring when you think about it. But we had some teams come back to the pack. We have some intrigue now in both the AFC and NFC. And before we get right to it, I have to start off with my winners and losers of the week. Winner number one, I have to give it up the Detroit Lions. I get it that this team is a fringe playoff team. And even though there's still a game on the 500 at six and seven, but remember, this team started off one and six. They've won five of the last six games. The one loss was that tough defeat in their building on Thanksgiving against the Buffalo Bills. But they have really turned their fortunes around to the point where they're just, like I mentioned, the game on the 500. They are within shot of the playoffs considering the Giants coming back to the pack and knowing that they have an outside chance to make it in. Although they do have some tough sledding when it comes to their schedule and I'll get to that in a minute. But the Lions... And what they did yesterday in beating up the Minnesota Vikings 34-23, Jared Goff has played phenomenal and has really been under the radar as far as what he's done at the quarterback position yesterday, 27 for 39, 330 yards, just a big offensive output for this Lion team. And at least during the discussion, at least they have now maybe have turned the corner. Who knows, this could be something that they could build going into next year if somehow some way everybody falls apart at the bottom rung of the NFC playoff picture and the Lions somehow some way sneak through the back door. So with their win over the Vikings yesterday and putting themselves in a position to where they can actually may make some noise. Now do we expect for this to continue? Chances are I would say no, but when we look at their schedule, they have a game against the Jets who are flailing at the moment. The Panthers, who could pretty much see a division crown in front of them if they are able to run the table, then they do have a game against Chicago and the Packers. So if they could get past this two-game stretch where they have to go on the road and actually three of their final four games are away from Ford Field, but if they could capitalize against the Jets, and remember they won in that building a month ago against the Giants, so maybe some familiarity, and even with the Jets being desperate, The Lions can put it on them. And then Carolina, we'll have to wait and see what happens after next week because they have a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's Carolina, that could be for the division. But as of right this second, give it up. The Lions have done a phenomenal job and they're my winner, number one. Winner number two has to be the Los Angeles Chargers. They put themselves now in the top seven in the AFC. I get it that they have the same record as the Jets, but they do have the tiebreaker at this very moment. And the Chargers, we all know that they're an up-and-down team. Jekyll and Hyde is the best way to put it. And with the matchup against the Dolphins, who are now reeling, and we'll touch on them a little bit later on. But Justin Herbert, 39 for 51. Another 300-yard performance, 361 yards in the air. And not much of a, an exciting game, considering that they were head-to-head against Tua Tagovailoa. Remember, this is the number five and six picks of the draft a couple of years back. And I'm sure the Miami Dolphin front office, who may or may not have been in attendance, I'm sure the Sauvignon Blanc wasn't going down too smooth when they looked at what Herbert did, as opposed to what Tua did, as he went 10 for 28, 140 yards, and was a non-factor in the game. But the Chargers, we know from one week to the next, you not know what you're going to get. And at least for right now, they are on the fast track to trying to make it into the postseason. And you would think, with this quarterback... And even with the coach who could make you pull your hair out of your head, but this is their time to see if they could make an express lane into January and into the postseason. And last night was a good building block for them. So they're my winner number two. As far as my losers of the week, I got to go back to Thursday night. And I understand that they were a long shot to make it to the postseason. But if that wasn't a brutal loss for the Las Vegas Raiders, I don't know what was. They had a 16-3 lead late into the fourth quarter, and Baker Mayfield, who literally got to SoFi and signed the contract with the Rams probably five minutes before this game, and for him to not only orchestrate two game-winning drives or two touchdown drives, one led to the game-winner, including a 98-yard drive, go figure, and it's not as if this Raider team is not going to be confused with the Raider defenses of the past, whether it be Teddy Hendricks, Lester Hayes, and even going further back, Jack Tatum, George Atkinson, etc. But for them not to be able to get a stop, and for them to just implode, to know that they actually had an opportunity to not only win this game, but maybe, just maybe, be a part of the AFC conversation, considering that it had been a lost season for the first 10 weeks, and these last few weeks they've actually turned it around, well you can forget about it, it goes right up in smoke, As they lose a heartbreaker 17 16 at SoFi on Thursday night. So you could pretty much punt their season goodbye, and who knows what's going to lie ahead for the quarterback and even maybe for the head coach. I understand they're probably going to keep Josh McDaniels, and I had this theme last week that he was probably going to stick around, but that loss was inexcusable to say the least. But when you have Mark Davis running the team, who knows? He could be gone by the end of the year or he could be here for many years to come and remind you that they're still paying John Gruden the rest of that 10 year 100 million dollar contract that was offered to him quite a few years back so I would think Mark Davis is going to have to keep quiet and have Josh McDaniels come back at least for one more year they're my loser number one and my loser number two has to go to the Seattle Seahawks game is at home And their schedule is going to be daunting to say the least, at least for the next two weeks where they have a short week as San Francisco comes in and we all know that they're hot as a pistol, followed by a trip to Kansas City. And even with the last two games, which are manageable for them, but they needed this win to at least make themselves feel a little bit better, even with the Niners and the Chiefs on the horizon. And what do they do? They had the Carolina Panthers just run roughshod through that Seattle defense where they had 226 yards on the ground, gobbled up almost 40 minutes in the time of possession, and for Geno Smith and company, they weren't able to muster a big comeback. Carolina was pretty much in control from the start, and this is a loss that I'm sure when we look back at this regular season, especially if you're Pete Carroll and company, they're going to look at this game, because if they would have won this game, there would have been 8-5, and five and a game back in the division with the showdown against the Niners on Thursday to where they could have pulled even in the standings but now you can forget about the division you can forget about pretty much anything that had to do with them maybe hosting a home game come January and now they're gonna have to go by way of the wild card and as it is at this very moment it's pretty much slim not to say it's none but with these games upcoming and knowing that this was a must win for them to get and I get it that Carolina's feisty. They've shown a lot of gumption. They're actually better than what their record shows. Even at 5-8. and eight. They probably could be 500 or even a game over considering they played 13 games. But for the Seahawks to put up that kind of performance, inexcusable and actually pathetic. So they're my loser number two. And when we take a look at the week's games, a lot of these games were blowouts. And a couple of surprises in the mix. Jacksonville going to Tennessee and beating them up the way they did. And I'm sure there's going to be people in Jacksonville that think that maybe there's an outside shot for them to get to the playoffs, which is comical when you think about it. But in that division and Tennessee, we all know another Jekyll and Hyde team, when you expect them to win a game, they lose. And when you think, ah, they have no shot, that's when they win. So you can't trust Tennessee. But Jacksonville, a stupendous performance for them on the road. And Trevor Lawrence had a huge game. For the Jaguars as they try to put themselves in position to let's see if they can run a Royal Flush and a full straight to a division crown. I'll get through all of the playoff brackets and not necessarily the brackets, but I'll go through the conferences at the tail end of this segment to give a wider perspective and an overview of what lies ahead here over the last four weeks. But as we get to the schedule, Dallas survives what would have been an utter embarrassment Winning at home in the final seconds against the Texans. And I'm sure maybe for the organization, the Texans that is, they probably looked at this game as a Super Bowl-like game. And I understand you could say that the week before with Cleveland coming into their building and Deshaun Watson. But because this was the Battle of Texas, they do this once every four years. And they had to go upstate to play the Cowboys. And boy, did they hang in until the very end and came very close to pulling off an upset as they were in control, they played very well. Dak Prescott, I have to say this people, I get it that he does have ability and his team's record is what it is. Granted that for five of those games he did not perform, that was Cooper Rush early on the season. But if you're a Cowboy fan, to my guy JD, and he knows well, do you trust Dak Prescott with your playoff team's lives on the road to win a playoff game? Because that's what it's going to boil down to. They're not going to win a division. The Eagles are clearly going to be the one seed after what happened in Detroit yesterday with Minnesota, and I'll get to them later. But for the Cowboys to now look at their season, even at 10-3, and, and who knows, they may end up, off the top of my head, at worst 12-5, and five, but chances are they'll be 13-4. And for them to go into the postseason with that record, knowing that they're going to be a 5 seed to play either in Tampa or Carolina, and that's going to be an absolute must win to where they're going to be favored. And if Dak Prescott, again, if you're down 24-20 with 2.35 to go and one or two timeouts, and you have to start at the 20-yard line, are the Cowboy fans going to hold their collective breaths with their fingers crossed thinking that Dak is going to be able to will his team to victory? Or are they just going to think that there's no way Dak is going to be able to pull this off knowing that as successful as this team has been this year and all the good things and the juju that has happened there in Dallas, if you were to be able to sign that scenario on the dotted line, would you? Now, of course, the Cowboy fans are going to say no. They're going to say, I'd rather have us up 24-20 on the road in the fourth quarter as opposed to being down But that's the one thing you have to think about going into the postseason with Dak Prescott as your quarterback. But they survived yesterday. That's for then. This is now. And they continue to win. In fact, they're going to go to Jacksonville next week, which should be a very interesting matchup as they go on the road there for week 15. Cincinnati beats Cleveland. Kind of ho-hum. Nothing much to write home about. The Bengals continue to roll as they are 9-4, and four, tied with the Baltimore Ravens, and I'll get to that quickly. I know the Steelers are out to sea this year, and for those who are thinking that, maybe, just maybe, kind of like the Raiders, that they could pull that inside straight to make it into the playoffs. But yesterday, with Kenny Pickett out, as he was in concussion protocol after a Roquan Smith sack, and that was a weird game when you think about it, because you not only had that, but you had the backup for the Ravens, Tyler Huntley, who was also knocked out of the game. So they had to bring in Anthony Brown, who was playing in his first NFL game. And the Ravens were victorious. They won 16-14. And Mitchell Trubisky, when you look at his numbers, 22 for 30 for 276 yards and a touchdown, but three interceptions. And the bad part of those interceptions, they were all in Baltimore territory. That's all you need to know. That was pretty much the game as the Steelers, who are now 5-8, and eight, and in order for Mike Tomlin to not go under 500 in a regular season for the first time in his career, they're going to have to run the table and win four straight. Good luck as they have to go to Carolina. They do host the Raiders on Christmas Eve, which will be the day after the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. After that, they got to go to Baltimore and then host Cleveland the final game of the season. Chances are that it's not going to happen. Tomlin is going to go under 500 for the first time in his career. But Baltimore, because of their win early this year against Cincinnati... They have the tiebreaker edge. They will meet in week 18, which will be for all the marbles we would think as far as the AFC North and hosting a playoff game. Because right now, the Bengals would have to go on the road throughout the entirety of the postseason if the season did end today. So just keep that in mind. Other games, Philadelphia went up the turnpike to play the Giants. It was a route 48-22. They were in control from the start. And now the Giants need a life raft in the worst way because... They have to go to Washington in a Sunday night affair against the Commanders, which last week, both teams were draw at a 2020 tie. And that game is going to be critical to see who's going to possibly get the inside track on making it into the playoffs. And the Giants, what could you say? A pathetic performance at home. We understand that the Eagles are the superior team, the much better team, but the Giants are just a no-show. And you cannot feel good if you're the Giants. And even for the Jet fan, for that matter, although the Jets do have a bit of a soft landing upcoming, and I'll get to the Jets next, but the Giants, for all that good fortune, 7-2, and two riding high, I get it that you did beat Tennessee Week 1 in Baltimore as they spit the bit on the road and losing at MetLife earlier this season, but they have not beaten a bunch of good teams. In fact, this losing streak, if you will, because they did have the tie last week, Started when they lost to the Detroit Lions. They're at home before losing to Dallas, the tie and then now yesterday. So the Giants are fading fast there in the NFC and especially in the NFC East. Let's see what they have as their season is pretty much going to be on the line come Sunday night against Commanders, who are coming off a bye, I might add. So they're going to be well rested as they head into that matchup. And then the Jets. I understand that the quarterback was gutty, took a lot of vicious hits, and really earned the respect of his teammates, and you got to wonder if Zach Wilson is even going to touch the field this rest of this year, where there's still four games left, and the Jets still have it in front of them to make it to the postseason, and even with Quentin Williams leaving with a calf injury, and who knows what his status is going to be for next week. But the Jets are another team that's starting to fade here in the AFC, although they do have a couple of games on the docket, which... Are going to be tricky. They're both at home. And they are winnable games. Against Detroit. As we mentioned earlier. And then a short week to where Jacksonville. Comes into MetLife. Before having to play two games. The final one in Miami. To play the Dolphins. Which I'm sure the Dolphins are going to need the game in the worst way. As well as the Jets. So that could be a, a loser leaves town match. And then before that. They got to go to Seattle. So to make that. East to West Coast trip, always tricky, especially this late in the year. And the Jets, although gutty, but were unable to muster up any big plays. The Bills were just enough, kind of like the game against the New England Patriots that Thursday night, the week before. They were not spectacular. They were solid. And the Jets just didn't have any answers. They weren't able to muster up some key offensive drives to get themselves into the end zone, Again, Mike White was gutty. Looks like he could be the guy that may lead this team not only for the rest of this year but maybe into next year. And just because Zach Wilson is a number two pick overall but the one thing that you see in White that you would love to see in Zach Wilson is not only toughness but also accountability. And that's what you've seen here with Mike White over these last few weeks as the Jets are now 7-6 and six in the AFC and right now on the outside looking in To the AFC playoff picture. Kansas City and Denver. What can I get into there? I know KC won 34-28. And also Russell Wilson was concussed in the game. Who knows what his status is going to be. For the remainder of the season. We all know that Denver has had a nightmare of a season. Where I believe the coach should be gone. I don't care who is running that team. Whether it's the newly minted Walton group. The GM. I don't care. This guy has to go out on the rail. So goodbye Nathaniel Hackett. As the Chiefs. Continue to keep pace with the Buffalo Bills in the AFC. What a disaster for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out in San Francisco. And the Niners are looking stout. Brock Purdy, what could you say? His performance. If you thought that the week before, him coming in to relieve Jimmy Garoppolo, if there were any question marks in his first NFL start, well, he answered all of them. And I'm not going to sit here and say that he lit the world on fire because that wasn't the case. Obviously, he did what he was supposed to do in this offense because we know it's going to be run heavy. But Brock Purdy, if he's going to throw 20 times a game and put up the numbers he did yesterday, 16 for 21, 185 yards and two touchdowns, then the Niners are going to have a pretty good chance to make it to the Super Bowl if Purdy continues to play that way. And that's going to be the key. If you stop their run game, have Brock Purdy throw anywhere between 25 to 30, 35 times a game, That is a recipe for disaster. That's what the Niners don't want. They want to control the clock. They want to just control the line of scrimmage, which is what the Niners' forte is, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And you saw that there yesterday to a 35-7 romp over Tampa. And again, tails between their legs, flying back to Tampa, wondering what the hell's going on. And Tampa has a very interesting matchup this week as they have the Bengals coming into their building. And it's pretty much going to be do or die because the following week, Carolina goes to Tampa, which could be for the NFC South, if you could even ever imagine that that would be the case. So that's what you have with the Bucks as they lick their wounds and ask themselves whether or not they're going to be postseason ready. That's something I'll get into more on Thursday. But before I get to recap both conferences, I believe that's everything that the slate had to offer again tonight, New England and Arizona. And if New England wins, they put themselves in a good position because remember, they have the tiebreaker over the Jets. So the Jets as it is constituted right now, I believe they're on the outside looking in based on what I read, but I'll go through the conferences in a second. But now you have to wonder whether or not if New England wins tonight, you got to put their hat in the ring as far as them being a part of this whole discussion when it comes to the playoffs in the AFC. And that'll be a good segue. I'll start with the AFC. Right now, the Bills and Chiefs both are at 10-3 and three, and the Bills with the tiebreaker over Kansas City. They currently have the top spot, but their schedule gets a little bit tricky. They do have to play the Bengals on a Monday night in three weeks. I believe that's January 2nd. And that's going to be a, not a big game. That's an enormous game because if the Bengals are able to leapfrog over the Baltimore Ravens and it could possibly happen because with Tyler Huntley in concussion protocol and who knows what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson as he may still be a week or two away the Bengals could overtake the Ravens in the division to where they could have the inside track to get the one seed overall in the AFC because remember they beat Kansas City the week prior and if they happen to beat Buffalo depending on where they are in the standings at that time that's going to be critical to see who comes out on top there in the AFC. But as of right now, it is Buffalo. It is KC. Your third seed goes to the Baltimore Ravens, as I talked about earlier with the tiebreaker over Cincinnati. Follow that by Tennessee. Then your 5, 6, and 7 seeds are Cincinnati, Miami, and the Chargers. And the Chargers, the reason being is because they do have a better conference record than the Jets. They are 5-4 and four in the AFC, where the Jets are currently 5-5. Five and, five. and then if the Patriots win tonight the patriots would actually then have the 7 seed because they'll also be 7 and 6 and they'll have a better conference record than the chargers because the patriots are currently 5 and 3 in the AFC and considering that they're playing the cardinals who are an NFC opponent if they win they will have the 7 seed as we move into week 15 then you have jacksonville at 5 and 8 and the only reason why i bring up jacksonville is because Their schedule down the stretch, I mentioned about the Jets, I believe they play the final game of the regular season at home against Tennessee, yes, they have the Cowboys, the Jets, at Texans, and then the Titans, where the Titans, they also have to play the Cowboys too here over the last few weeks of the season, and as I look at Tennessee's schedule, Tennessee has... At the Chargers, not going to be an easy game. Home to the Texans, home Cowboys at Jaguars. I would think if Tennessee blows this, this would be a disaster. There's no way that the Titans would even think about getting to that final game of the season, knowing that the Jaguars, if they're a game back, and if they win that game, they'll win a division, that would be the upset of all time. Forget about in this 2022 season. So we have to look at that. Only because there's still another matchup down the road. But I would think that Tennessee is going to be in good shape here. But you never know. With the way this Titan team has performed, anything could possibly happen. But that is your AFC picture. As far as the NFC goes, we know it's going to be Philadelphia. Minnesota is going to start to scare me here, people. Because the Vikings, as we saw there yesterday. And now the one thing you have to worry about here, people. Especially if you're a Viking fan. To my guys, Kev and also Headstyle of Minnesota. The Niners, think about this people, the Niners are now a game back of the Vikings in the NFC and that two seed is crucial because if you're a two seed, that means you're only going to have one road game to go to a Super Bowl, that's if the Eagles aren't upset in the division round. As it is, they are a game ahead of the Niners, but the Vikings conference record is 6-3 and three, to where the Niners conference record is 7-2. and two. So if by chance, if Minnesota loses next week and the Niners win Thursday night in Seattle, they will have the two seed where the Vikings will drop down to three. And considering that the Vikings have played from in front all year long, they've been a two seed pretty much since, you could go back and say week two, and they're going to win a division as we know. But if they were to fall out of that second spot and go to third, that is going to be a monumental loss in my book and in my eyes because you want to be able to host those two games before having to go to Philadelphia if the road happens to travel that way because if they were to drop the three to host in the wild card round and then have to go on the road to San Francisco uh to me that's a defeat that's similar to the Mets being in first place all year long and then losing to the Braves in the division where they had to host in the wild card round and we know what happened there. And granted, I get it that the Braves lost in the the division series to the Phillies. We understand any, anything and everything can happen. But in football, you want to have that two seed, especially if you've been there the whole year. So that's one that you're going to have to keep an eye out for. Your four seed is going to be either Tampa or Carolina, but right now we're going to say Tampa. And then the rest of your... Conference is at five, the Cowboys, as we talked about earlier. The Commanders are currently six, and then the Giants are seven, to where the Seahawks are seven and six. That's where the tie helps out for both of those teams. But as we know with these final four games, and as we take a look at their schedules, the Commanders, of course, have the Giants. I know they have a trip to San Francisco, which is not going to be easy. And in their final two games, they're going to host Cleveland and then Dallas, who is not going to need the game. Although I'm sure the Cowboys would do their best to try to knock the Commanders out of the postseason. But the Commander schedule, not hard in the least. Although the trip to San Francisco is not going to be easy, but with their defense, who knows? As for the Giants, they have Washington, they have a trip to Minnesota, which as we all know is not going to be easy, and they do close out at home or excuse me, on the road against the Eagles, and then sandwiched in between that is a home game against the Indianapolis Colts, which does bode well for them. But not an easy schedule, to say the least, for the G-Men. And then for the, should I even go to the Lions? Didn't we just talk about the Lions earlier? Yes, we did. The Lions have to go to the Jets, and they do have their back end of the schedule pretty easy. But that's your NFC picture in a nutshell. And the Seahawks, as I mentioned, they do have... The Niners, Chiefs, as I mentioned, and then have the Jets and Rams at home to close out their season. So they're going to have to get a split here of these next two if they want to stay alive. If they lose these next two games, I think they're going to be in huge trouble in making the playoffs. So to at least tread water, gain a split, you would like to at least win the game against San Francisco. Not only is it a division opponent, but it's also a conference opponent to where if you lose in Kansas City, it's against the AFC, and it's a little bit more tolerable to lose that game than it would to be against San Francisco. And then they have the Jets and Rams to close out their season at home. So, four more weeks, people. We're down to the thick of it. Looking forward to seeing how this is all going to unfold, but you don't have a lot of teams. Yes, at the bottom rung there, where in the AFC with the Pats and the Jets and the Chargers, of course, and then the NFC, same for Giants, Seattle, Washington you want to sprinkle in the lines even though they're a game on the 500 okay you can but that's what you're going to have here as we get to the final quarter the home stretch of this NFL season and we're all looking forward to seeing how it all unfolds as we get toward a week 15 starting this Thursday in Seattle and quickly with the college football I know you had the army navy game which I didn't mention on Thursday so my apologies We all know that's the oldest rivalry going back. Obviously, it's not on the scale of Ohio State-Michigan, but anytime Army and Navy get together, it's always a big game between both of those academies. And for Army to win yesterday or Saturday, the first overtime game between the Army and Navy ever. Army wins again, and the Navy midshipman coach gets fired after the game. And I know I'm going to butcher his name, so my apologies. Ken Neumatsatolo. I guess I just pronounce it, but he is gone, and when you lose five of the last seven, which I didn't realize that was the case, because the Navy has pretty much dominated this matchup over the years, but the Black Knights give it up to them, as they have won five of the last seven, including the game on Saturday, so kudos to Army in winning that battle there in Philadelphia on Saturday, and then you had Caleb Williams was your runaway Heisman Trophy winner, no surprise there. And now, as we get into the bowl season, which starts this week, and I'll say it right off the bat, people, the only bowls that I'm going to focus in on are the semifinal games on New Year's Eve. Because all these bowls, unless it's something outlandish or crazy or wild, there really isn't anything to discuss. That's no disrespect to the schools, the administration, the players, coaches, etc. But can we even discuss some of these bowls, which are played in nondescript parts of the country, I'm not going to do that, so let's just fast forward to New Year's Eve, and we'll talk about it there, unless we get some sort of just off the chain type of performance, or a high scoring game that just has to be discussed, but the college football season, as we know, has pretty much been closed after the Army-Navy and the Heisman Trophy winner being announced, so now we could look ahead to the bowl seasons, and in particular, to the matchup there on New Year's Eve where you have Ohio State and Georgia in the Peach Bowl and then preceding that, TCU and Michigan in the Fiesta. Now, I want to turn my attention to baseball and as we talked about on Thursday, it was a week that we haven't seen in quite some time where the free agent frenzy just went through the roof. Obviously, Aaron Judge highlighted all that with what happened there in him resigning with the Yankees. Jacob DeGrom the week before, but then you had Justin Verlander sign to go along with Brandon Nimmo on Thursday, that eight-year, $162 million contract, which was a little bit too rich for my blood. I get it that I'm not paying for it. And then they also signed David Robertson to a one-year, $10 million deal to be a part of that bullpen. We also talked about Jose Contana, inked as a starter, two years, $26 million, which I liked. I understand Carlos Rodon is the sexier left-handed pitcher, but from some of the reports that I've read, he's looking for a six or seven year deal and he has an injury history to boot. So that's a dice that I certainly didn't want to roll there, but the Yankees look like they may have to do this only because not only to reinforce their rotation to bring in that left-handed starting pitcher, but what the Mets did there late on Friday, signing the Japanese import. Kodai Senga, who is the top Japanese pitcher, and they bring him in on a five-year, $75 million deal to the Yankee fan up in arms to say, look at what the Mets have done here this offseason, and the Yankees haven't gotten any pitching, and are we going to live with the Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez, and whoever else you want to pencil in to that starting lineup or starting rotation, where the Mets are going all in with everything that has happened here over the last week, after Jacob DeGrom left and who they've inked on a dotted line and are primed to see if they could get themselves to a World Series and finally win one for the first time in 36 years. Well, here's my take on all that, people. So perk up, Met fans. I don't know if you're going to like this. You're going to agree, disagree. But here goes. The Met fan has been waiting for this moment. They were waiting for Uncle Steve Cohen, the owner of the team, to come in on his white horse. To wave the $14 billion empire that he has been able to build over the course of his entire life. The Met fan that he was growing up as a boy, a young adult, and now finally getting a chance to own this franchise. To say that in three to five years, this team was going to win a World Series. That he was going to do whatever it takes to get the Mets to the mountaintop. And as we've seen so far in the past two off seasons, whether that means... Signing Francisco Lindor to that $341 million contract, which, let's face it, he overpaid. Whether it was bringing in guys like Mark Hanna, Starling Marte, and a number of other players to boot, we get it that they had to play out this year to the tune of 101 games and as I just mentioned a little while ago, fizzling out in the wild card round where they were in first place the whole year. And then now this offseason, I'm sure that the urgency and knowing that the team, as successful as they were in the regular season, they knew that they had to take it a notch further. That they had to step up to know that if this team is going to be ready and have the talent and the roster built to make it to a postseason, that they had to get those reinforcements. And what they've done so far this offseason, and you could question whether or not Justin Verlander is going to be that guy As he turns 40 years old, even coming off of a Cy Young Award season, you have to wonder whether or not Kodai Senga, who is an unknown, despite the fact of his success in Japan and throwing 100 miles an hour and has this wicked, crazy split finger fastball that the people stateside has not seen, whether it's re-signing Brandon Nimmo to that contract. And I love Nimmo as a player, intangible player, great teammate unselfish, good defensive player, has a decent stick, great eye at the plate, but for a leadoff hitter to get paid that much, that's exorbitant. And here's the one thing that I fear, and you can even check the receipts. I went back a long time ago, hoping that Steve Cohen wasn't going to look at this as a shiny new toy, and that he was just going to get the biggest and best and most expensive gifts that he could throw under the trees to appease the Met fan, Because all he has to do is just look in his division. And granted that the mold is a lot different in Atlanta than it is in New York. And I understand that. And I had to preface it by saying that. But the team has been built the way you want the Braves to be built. Not the Mets. And I get it that we have to do this on the fly. I get it that it's a scenario where you're going to have to sign these free agents. That you're going to have to bring in these players. And overpay them to be a part of a championship mix. But the thing that scares me about this, and forget about the starting pitchers, especially Scherzer and Verlander, Scherzer coming off of that awful performance there in the wild card and what his psyche is going to be going into next year, because I can tell you this right now, if he does not start opening day, and remind you, the Mets are on the road to start opening day next year in Miami. So if he doesn't start that first game at Citi Field where he's introduced on the first base, baseline, and when his number is about to be called, he's probably going to get booed. Or there's going to be a mixture. Because the Mets fan is going to remember that last performance in early October to where he gave up four runs, or excuse me, seven runs, four home runs in four and two-thirds innings. So I even have to put that aside. But knowing that you have all of these high-priced guys that are coming in, and let's face it, they're mercenaries. I can't include Seng in that mix because they didn't have to Fork over a posting fee for him. It's straight five years, $75 million. He's 29 years of age. Okay, you want to roll the dice with an unknown, and who knows? It's all based on potential. Fine. But with Verlander, what he's going to get paid, and obviously Nimmo and that exorbitant contract, and who knows what Steve Cohen's going to do throughout the course of the year to where the payroll is going to reach somewhere near, and as if I'm not mistaken, it could be currently at $335 million. So you can say, Jay Reels, who cares? As long as they win a championship. And yes, I understand. It's not the NFL where they have a hard salary cap. They're not the LA Rams, thank God. But here's the problem. Steve Cohen could flex his muscles and his wallet right now. But when we look at the competitive balance tax, which is AKA or IE, the luxury tax. With a payroll that's north of $275 million, which the Mets currently are. They would have to pay 65% in luxury tax. So do the math. What he's going to have to pay in salaries, and maybe right now he doesn't care, but I bet you he's going to get to a point that if the return of this investment is, dare I even say, unworthy of making the postseason, he's going to cut heads. But the one thing that he's not going to look at is himself in the mirror. Because I get it that he wants to do anything and everything. And if he doesn't care about the money, considering how much he's worth, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, if that's not going to be a problem, then fine. But there may come a day where he's going to think back and say, wait a minute, I'm paying this guy this amount and this is the performance that I'm getting? Or what am I doing signing this pitcher? Or no, I'm not going to go after that outfielder or first baseman or third baseman, whatever it may be. And then he's going to start to be a little thrifty. I won't go as far as saying frugal, but he may be thrifty. And then you may get to a scenario where he turns into Freddie and Jeff coupons, aka the Wilpons. And then you're back to square one. Now, I understand that is for down the road. And hopefully it never even comes across that where we have to go down that street where it's going to be dark, rainy, stormy. The trees are going to be rustling in the wind. Hopefully that's not the case. But that's something that we may have to pay attention to and just keep in mind if this train goes off the track. Now, if they win a World Series in the next two, three years, you know Steve Cohen's not going to care because the championship and the trophy is going to be in their building. He's going to rejoice. The Met fan can rejoice and all be well in Metville. But like I said, I just only hope that after this year, It's not about the band-aids. It's not about just going ahead and spending it on the shiniest toy. That hopefully they could go the international route. And whatever money that they have there, that they could get the 16-year-old infielder. Or the 18-year-old pitcher. Or the kid that could be a phenom as he makes his way up the ranks into Queens. Or trying to get that gem in the draft. Or to be able to get that number one pick that we could groom. And hopefully they could be a mainstay on this team for the next decade or so. That's where I hope the Mets put their whole focus on. And it's not just strictly about the free agents, about trading for the best player, about having this Steinbrenner-esque attitude that we're the Mets and you're not, and that we could just go ahead and just throw our money at all these different players expecting a championship. Because as we all know, just because you have the highest payroll doesn't mean you're guaranteed a trophy and a parade of the Canyon of Heroes in Lower Manhattan. And I will leave it at that. All right, let me turn my attention to a few other things before we bid adieu. NBA, NHL, Brittany Griner, and the soccer with the World Cup. I'll start off with the NBA. You wonder if there's going to be a burgeoning rivalry in the association where you have Phoenix and New Orleans going at it, where over the weekend they actually had a back-to-back, both games in New Orleans, Friday night, was the exclamation point at the end of the game, if you saw, where the Pelicans, they won both games, by the way, yesterday in overtime, but the game on Friday, they had, I believe it was a seven-point lead, and they made a defensive stop very late in the game, and pretty much the game was over as the Pelicans got the rebound, and then you had the outlet pass that went to Zion Williamson, who was in the front court all by himself, and as the seconds dwindled to its precious few to zero... He did a 360 windmill dunk, which was unbelievable, and the Pelicans put the final hammer into the Suns as they won 128-119, to and then a melee ensued between Jose Alvarado and Chris Paul. Willie Green, the coach of the Pelicans, had to intervene to get in the way. Both teams converged, there was a bit of a scrum, but cooler heads prevailed, and remember, this was on the heels of last year's sixth game, very intense. Very ultra-competitive first-round series. And a lot of respect was paid to Willie Green, as you saw by the Suns, if you recall, back in the spring. And now, they've already played three games. They have one more game before Christmas. So I guess the rivalry, who knows if that's going to extend to its final game. I believe that game is on the 22nd. So it could be, was in the next 10 days or so. With the up-and-coming New Orleans team, as I mentioned on Thursday, number one in the West. And with the Suns, who are jockeying for position there very early in the season we're not even halfway through but those are the young guns going up against the old guard and who knows if that's going to be a rivalry that we're going to have to take a look at based on what we saw last spring in the postseason and then now just three games into their regular season series which will conclude unfortunately in the next week and a half so New Orleans continues to win they continue to do what the Young upstart team is going to do, obviously didn't expect them to be number one here in the, what, 30 game mark or close to the 30 game mark of the season, but give credit to them as they took care of the Suns over the weekend down in NOLA. And then you had the finals rematch, which I understand a Celtic fan could be a little puzzled, but that game meant more for Golden State than it did for Boston and for this reason, only because Golden State has been in a long season slumber up until this point. They haven't been able to get on track. They've been off kilter pretty much since the start. We could go back to the training camp, the punch with Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. And not to say that that's been the catalyst for why they've performed or underachieved so far here in this NBA season. But I'm sure when that game came about and they know that the Celtics have been at the top of the league from the start. And I bet that there were whispers going around saying that, oh, the Celtics are the superior team. What's going to happen there at Golden State? Can they even match up with the Celtics? The young team, team with the younger legs, fresher legs, and here it was, Golden State winning 123-107, I believe it was, as they put to rest that the Celtics were going to run the Warriors out of the building, and therefore, let's see if the Warriors could get themselves in a groove to where they could get up the standings in the Western Conference and get themselves back to where they belong somewhere in the top four. Then you also had some sad news, Paul Silas, three-time NBA champ, twice with the Celtics and once with the Sonics, died at the age of 79, he was a long-time NBA coach, had several stops along the way, including Cleveland in the rookie year of LeBron James back in the 2003-2004 season, unfortunately he passes at the age of 79, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Silas family as, again, the sport loses another big member of their fraternity. I'll get into more of the NBA as we get to Thursday and take a lay of the land as to what we could see then. Same for the NHL. A couple of things you have here. Chris Letang, 12 days after suffering a stroke back in the lineup as they won the second of a back-to-back against the Sabres the other day. And actually, they've been on a roll ever since they lost seven in a row. They have been 13-2-2 in the Metropolitan Division as they played exceptional here. And now let's see where they could go, if they could be that team that is trying to not only get themselves amongst the tops of the Eastern Conference, we know, and I've talked about it ad nauseum, between Crosby, Malkin, and Letang, the three elder statesmen, the 3 longtime Stanley Cup champions that they've been, and yes, they could do this in a regular season, and as we all know, seasons are going to have their ebbs and flows, but let's see if there'll be some consistency with the Penguins From here on out as they have their backliner in the lineup again. Not even two weeks after he suffered a stroke. Which they said was milder than the first one that he suffered going back to the 2014 season. So it's great to see him back out there. And let's see what the Penguins do as they continue this hot streak there in the NHL. And Alexander Ovechkin is now three goals away from 800 and four away from Gordie Howell. Funny as it is, his last four goals have been scored by empty netters. And I understand there's been a little bit of an uproar there in some circles to where he's getting all these goals and empty net situations. Well, he can't help that if the other team is going to pull their goalie late and Ovechkin's out there and I get it, they could be mop-up goals or just easy picking type goals, whatever you want to call them. What are you going to say? I could see if the goalie's just going to give himself up or he's just getting these garbage goals and right, are they garbage at the end of the day? Of course, it's almost as if they're empty calories padding on, but if they're there, they're there. It's not as if they have the welcome mat for Ovechkin to score to say, hey Alex, do what you got to do to try to inch closer to the all-time goal-scoring record, but I'm sure Wayne Gretzky got plenty of his goals on empty netters, the same for Gordie Howe, and if it just so happens to be, and I'm not an apologist or a huge fan or a capital fan to say the least, but if he's going to be put on the ice to get those goals in an empty net setting, then what could you say? You could fume all you want about, ah, this is cheap, or come on, let them really earn these goals. If they're going to pull the goalie, uh, I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. So that's what I got with the NHL, and I'll touch on also what's going on in the ice there come Thursday's podcast. I know I went from NBA to NHL. I should have tagged along Brittany Griner in that discussion there, considering it's a basketball-related story, but we all know Brittany Griner is on U.S. soil, actually had a light workout yesterday and practiced for the first time in 10 months. And I understand this could be a podcast unto itself, but without getting into the deep into the woods, as far as the political sense, because I know there's going to be a faction of people that think, why did Griner get out and not Paul Whalen, the Marine who has been detained now for four years this month. I believe he's in a penal colony, or maybe he's still detained in a Russian jail, Either way, a lot of people thought that maybe we could get a two-for-one here. Of course, we don't know the inner workings of this deal. Obviously, we're not privy to all this based on only what we could get from the press. But you got to remember, not to say that he's there for a reason. I understand it's probably four years too long. But he was a Marine and was dishonorable mention there or it dis- was honorably discharged From the Marines and also convicted of larceny. What the larceny is, I don't know. I didn't go full bore into why he was convicted or at least being detained because of larceny. But this guy obviously has some dirt on his hands. I understand Griner, because of the hashish, the marijuana possession, whatever you want to call it, that was the reason why she was held for 10 months out in Russia. But because she unfortunately is a star and Whalen isn't, but Whalen is in a prison for that reason, as I mentioned just a few seconds ago, and it's not as if he was one of nature's noblemen when it comes to being part of the military when it comes to the U.S. But I will say this, Brittany Griner has mentioned, and I hope she backs up what she says, has mentioned that she's going to do whatever it takes to try to get Whalen out of Russia. And Kudos to the Whalen family for taking the high road and saying the right things as far as Grinder coming home. And hopefully, Whalen won't be too far behind. And I think there will be a groundswell for getting Whalen back to the United States. Is Putin going to capitulate? Is he going to agree to that? That's an answer that we could probably say at this very moment. It's not going to happen in the, in the immediate future. Eventually, it will. But what that timetable is going to be, I have no clue. And with The Merchant of Death, Victor Boot going the other way. And we know his reputation and everything that has happened with him being here imprisoned over the last 12 years. Now he's out in the world. What's going to happen with him? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and speculate to think that, oh, he's going to probably go back to his connections or go back to certain people to where he could start this up. I don't know. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he learned. Hopefully he tried to steer clear and stay away from any wrongdoing when it comes to procuring arms and selling them to countries and doing things of that nature but the bottom line is this I get it Griner comes home a lot of people aren't going to be favorable and like that with certain parts of people in this country of course they're going to forget the dirt that Waylon has on his hands and the reason why he's out there but again hopefully there'll be another go at this sooner hopefully than later to bring him home based on what happened here and if this was a stepping stone knowing that the family of the Whalens thought that maybe this could be a building block to get them home let's see if that's going to be the case and it doesn't fall on deaf ears to what Brittany Griner said to what the administration has said and we will see whether or not this will happen who knows I can't say in the days and weeks to come it's probably going to be months but we shall see and who knows if Whalen will be the next one out As time continues to tick on. And finally with the soccer. We have a semifinal set. As I talked about on Thursday. I think that the. I'm not going to say the soccer fan. Because I don't know what the soccer fan thinks. But I would look at it this way. Even as a guy who doesn't follow soccer. I was hoping that the final four. Would have been anywhere between. Brazil, Argentina. That in its own right. Would have been epic as we all know. Considering. They're in the same country, and who knows what that would have been like as far as the fans of Brazil, the, of course, citizens there and in Argentina. That would have just been bragging rights forever. And then to have either England or France, and I'll get to that in a minute, go up against Portugal with Ronaldo. You got one half of the draw there with Argentina as well as France, but with... Morocco being the first team from Africa to make it to the semifinals which was an achievement unto itself and Ronaldo being a sourpuss not shaking hands with the opposing team I get it suffered a terrible loss and obviously a World Cup that I'm sure he would want to forget considering that he was bickering with the coach and got benched in the previous game against Switzerland so that was one that I'm sure once it was over with he didn't want to be bothered with anybody but still that's just a bad optic on his part so Ronaldo could go cry off into the into the night, into the offseason, until he's ready to play again, but Morocco, now being that Cinderella team to make it this far, as they'll go up against France, and then you have Brazil losing the other side, and is it more of them losing than Croatia winning? They took a 1-0 lead there late, but for them to spit it up just a few minutes later in that second portion of the running overtime, was just not only downright awful, but there is no ifs, ands, buts, babies, about it that they couldn't hang on. And I get it. Croatia was putting on pressure. I get it that it was a frenzy there for them to just try to get to the end of the regulation or end of the overtime for them to win that game. But not only for them to get the equalizer, but then to lose some penalty kicks. And you know how I feel about that, which I will get to on Thursday's podcast. But that is just a, not a bad job, just a future job by Brazil not being able to stick to that one nothing lead there late, to just try to play through the overtime, to get the ball out of their own zone, but Croatia, for them to get the equalizer and then the win on the penalty kicks, I'm sure everybody in Brazil is just sick to their stomach and to the point where the coach had to step down because I'm sure that flight back to Brazil, he was probably, I'm sure, concerned about his life. Let's just start there, and I'm not being out of school in saying that. Now, does that mean he deserves to have to look over his shoulder or to have some sort of police escort just to try to get him back home? Absolutely not. But we know how passionate and how even, dare I say, even crazy and vigilant how these fans are and how they could get. And you got to wonder, for Argentina, if they lose a bad semifinal game here to the point where they don't make it out out of the semifinal alive, and especially win the whole thing, you also got to wonder what's going to happen there, especially if there's a culprit or a scapegoat to pin it on, and you're going to have a similar scenario to who knows whether it's a coach, a player, where uh, it's just ugly. And it's just, come on, people. Can we even get a grip here? Like right, seriously? I understand it's once every four years. I understand you want to be the best team, etc. But to the point where, and again, I'm not even reporting that there were threats or anything like that, although the coach stepped down there one more time. Tite, I believe his name, or was fired, whatever you want to call it. But you already know, once he's on Brazilian soil, I'm sure he's going to have to think twice about where he goes or have his head on a swivel because sadly, that's just the nature of some of these soccer fans. And to me, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what you have there. And with Morocco going up against France, France beating England, which was again, a scenario into penalty kicks. And I know Harry Kane had the opportunity there to get that penalty kick. And even the coach, Deschamps, he even said that we were lucky to get out of this game alive. And France, we all know they're a powerhouse. They are a team that was certainly one of the forefronts to get to this point and to get to a final and even win the whole thing. But for them to escape, with a victory against England, and I picked England to win the whole thing. But now, as we take a look ahead to the matchups, which will be tomorrow and Wednesday, Argentina, Croatia. I would think Argentina will win. And why not? Whenever you have the best player or one of the best players on a planet in a one Lionel Messi, you would think that they're gonna move on. And that's not to say it's an automatic or a guarantee by any stretch. Croatia did make it here, and even if it was on the hairs by the of their chinny chin chin I'm sure Croatia is going to be a pain in the neck but I would think Argentina will come out of this and play in a final whereas Morocco and France this could be the glass slipper moment for Morocco a lot of people from whom I've talked to think that Morocco is going to get embarrassed here and it's almost like that George Mason if you think back to what was it 2006 or was it 2011 off the top of my head No, I believe it was 2006 when they had that run all the way to the Final Four. We can say that for a lot of teams. And then once they got there, they got spanked in the semifinal round. So for Morocco to get here, they just can't be happy and rejoice to think that they made it to the Final Four. Let's see them play well. Let's see them be competitive. Let's hope that even if the, excuse me, if the French team gets off to a flying start and they get off to a one-nothing start, that they don't start to play tight and it not start to fold early that the barrage will come soon thereafter that's what we're gonna have to wait and see so 2 p.m tomorrow Argentina Croatia 2 p.m on Wednesday Morocco and France we'll recap it there on Thursday's podcast leading into the weekend where you'll have the championship on Sunday and I think France is gonna win I'm hoping Morocco wins but again if Morocco does win how much gas are they gonna have left in the tank to beat Argentina or Croatia. And as it is right now, do they have enough gas in the tank to beat France here in the semifinal round? I'm going to say no, but I do hope they're competitive. I hope it's a competitive game. And let's see how it all shakes down here over the course of the next 48 hours. That'll do it. Another episode just about in the books, people. As always, your participation in listening to what it is I have to say, tuning in every Monday, Thursday, or whenever you get a chance to listen, of course. Again, not take it for granted. I appreciate you stopping by. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Again, where else are you going to get all these sports in one podcast in one hour? I don't think anywhere else with the passion, the fury, the fire, etc. So if you can, go ahead and subscribe on wherever you get your podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up, question, comment, criticism, praise, a suggestion, you could do so on my social media accounts or at the following email address on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels, one just a number, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com for any queries in reference to myself, the podcast, etc. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And finally, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P is in Paul, A-T is in Tom, R-E-O-N is in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth goes right to this endeavor, to the production of this podcast, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, you name it, to make this experience from this microphone to your earbuds or speakers be 100% top-notch quality because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do people, this is what I love to talk about from birth. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. If you couldn't get an idea throughout the course of this hour, then I don't know maybe I need to step up my game a little bit further or have to I'm not gonna yell or loud because it's pretty much my nature to just talk loud but people if you haven't gotten a clue then you got to get a clue because I love to critique praise share my thoughts criticism analysis on anything and everything That's has to do with the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, to South Beach, to South Central, to South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.